One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And as always, we have another bonus episode. Bonus episode 15, in fact. And this time we are looking at the Spartan armor, the, the Mjolnir armor. Yeah, pretty much like a, an all-encompassing, somewhat history deep dive, a little bit of everything into mm-hmm. really how the Mjolnir armor came about and what are the variations of it and how have we seen improvements, you know, as we've changed different Spartan classes, you know, how, how have we seen that adapt to from stealing children to just brainwashing adults, basically, you know, how, how does that change between the armor sets and mm-hmm. what the armor requires? Yeah. Let's go through a quick overview of Spartan armor itself. Created parallel to the Spartan II program by the Office of Naval Intelligence's Materials Group, the Mjolnir armor is the most advanced piece of tactical military hardware in human hands. Each suit alone costs as much as a small starship. Ostensibly the brainchild of Dr. Catherine Halsey, Mjolnir is attempt to create a powered exoskeleton capable of taking full advantage of the physical capabilities of the Spartan. Mm-hmm. Mjolnir's development actually came about due to millennia-old Gaius that manifested itself within Halsey. Near the end of the Forerunner Flood War, the librarian planted genetic directives that would lead to the development of the powered armor along with the creation of the Spartans and the sophisticated artificial intelligence. This was done in preparation for humanity's task of reclaiming the mantle. Now, I, w- I will say once again with the lore... Whenever they were like teasing forerunners, then three four three kind of took it over. They go, they did everything. They went, meow, meow, meow. all right, let's set it up. Yep, yep. Forerunners are responsible for everything. However, do love it though because I love the aspect of okay, let's implant them to basically create the same type of armors or try to get towards the same type of armors that we have for our mm-hmm. warriors and AIs that are communicating through the armor. I- exactly. So having that stuff, I, th- I think it's it's a neat idea. Mm-hmm. But spanning over three decades of development. Project Mjolnir encompassed more than just a suit of armor, but as a pioneering effort intended to shatter current technological barriers. In its final iteration, Mjolnir is a highly advanced suit capable of further enhancing the Spartans' physical performance, like Jesse said, while also doubling as a platform capable of handling the AI network. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit of both of basically think of bringing your weight bench with you along with your iPod, but mashed into one and it's a suit <laughs> that that's what Mjolnir basically is so your bench and your ipod yeah yeah yeah. no wait so just just strictly your bench to lay down on not your iphone no 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 no, no. ipod nano <laughs> excuse me ipod nano uh but unlike the powered exoskeletons that preceded it 
The Mjolnir battle suit was designed from the ground up as a suit of armor. Its design philosophy would serve as a basis for all future powered and semi-powered armor systems. Each generation of the Mjolnir battle suit is composed of major fundamental components, constructions of, you know, overlapping layers from like those like kind of very skin tight layers that are more of just the Power Ranger suits. Power Ranger suits, yes, best way to describe it. So <laughs> your bench, your Power Ranger suit, and your iPod Nano all going into one. Uh, but yeah, all, all of these, all of these were meticulously planned and brought together from the gel layers to the to the actual like full exoskeleton that's on the interior of the armor plating. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of built from from the ground up and allows for that neural interface to go uninterrupted to be able to like kind of plug in to the Spartan. And, mm-hmm. you know, have that same thing we see with Chief in the game, if if you're familiar. If you're familiar with the game, Halo, oh. uh, th- that's that's where you would see it. I've played it a few times. I've dabbled. <laughs> the Mueller's battle suit's greatest advantage, however, is the super dense optical computer memory. This revolutionary solid-based crystalline layer forms a network within the suit's frame, a proper size and capability of housing the types of artificial intelligence usually reserved for starships. Mm-hmm. Essentially, a piggyback system, an AI can be delivered to the suit via a data crystal chip storage device no longer than a personal credit card. The AI's personality and processing matrices can be carried by the armor in conjunction with the user, can nearly link with a being that has nearly unfettered control over mathematics, information, and body control. Mm -hmm. Such technology did not exist when work began on the Mark prototypes. Yeah, so whenever we talk about the Mark I prototypes, you know, in the books, that was when we had some of the Marines or UNSC personnel in them that, like, crushed themselves Mm -hmm. and and attempted that. And we even see it in, um, I'm calling it the Halo anime, and, you know, one of the first Halo kind of animes when they bust out that suit to kind of let mm-hmm. people retreat. I forget which... which the uh, prototype. Yeah, oh, it is the prototype. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in the prototype, we, we, we see that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And to kind of wrap this up, you know, one major thing that the suit allows that is an advancement to what was already in the heads-up displays of the ODSTs is just a far greater encompassing HUD that, you know, has an ammo counter, built-in scope, Shield strength. It, mm-hmm. it basically it's the same thing you see in the game. So it's all of that as lore, and it allows the Spartan along with the AI to be able to track what's going on, your ammo counters, all of those aspects, to really push all that data to get you both that like strength and smarts all in one. Mm-hmm. And with the whole suit powered up all together, you know you're looking at a combined weight, you know, short of a half a ton, so about a thousand pounds or so, and really. Once again, as we kind of said in the beginning, this is really the most devastating and far advanced piece of tech humans have created thus far. Yes. So let's talk about the armor components themselves, starting with the inner components. So we have the inner skin suit. Your Power Ranger suit. Yeah, our Power Ranger suit, obviously. The inner skin suit is made of moisture-absorbing synthetic material linked to an environmental control computer and the occupant's neural interface. It controls the suit's temperature and actively changes how the suit fits the user. So if you're on the field, packing on a few pounds, don't sweat it. Yeah. It, this would work for the Hulk. If it just, like, just Bruce Banner <laughs> goes for it, the suit's like, not today, Bruce. <laughs> we also have the hydrostatic gel on top of that. So on top of that inner skin suit is a gel-filled layer, which helps regulate the temperature of the suit and of the user to make sure that, you know, when you're doing a jump from space or you're crashing or anything that will have those, like, intense fluctuations, it helps to deal with that mm-hmm. so that, obviously, your user doesn't perish 
the suit will help to absorb that. You know, it can also be pressurized for various levels of G-forces. So once again, this is, we've seen it in the books a lot of whenever they do, you know, a jump from basically space or kind of like an outer atmosphere or anytime you're lore-wise jumping from something high, it'll help absorb that Mm -hmm. and it won't go down to your lower level Spartan and affect them as much, I would say. They forgot about the lore in Combat Evolved, though. They did. (laughs) (laughs) And then next we have liquid metal crystal piezoelectric layer. Fitted in between the outer plates and the inner padding is a layer of liquid crystal that deforms along preferred axis when exposed to an electric charge. This layer acts as a sheath or a suit of artificial muscle. This reactive effort increases the mobility, speed, and the all-around physical performance of the suit's user, doubling their strength and increasing the reaction time by a multiple of five. The material is amorphous, which circumvents the major obstacle in its design, custom-fitting millions of polygonal pieces under the second armor layer. Yeah, so so this is really where, like Jesse said, you start to jump into that boosting strength mm-hmm. and working within them and being adaptive. You know, this this in turn makes them excellent at hand-to-hand combat. You know, yes. any of those aspects that really needs them to adjust for slight motion or mm-hmm. potential hazards. It basically, if you want to think of it this way, it kind of is your sixth or seventh sense that works with you. Mm-hmm. So your normal reaction time is like, you know, let's say 0.2 seconds for something is now 0.002. You know, yes. it, it helps decrease that and, and not only works with the brain in the aspect, but the muscles and kind of almost predictively yes. helps with it, which is which is pretty interesting. And it definitely will help to deal with any damage inflicted as well. It kind of adjusts yes. for it. So it's almost, think of it as like somewhat of a force field in a way, but a predictive one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knitted together at a molecular level, the liquid crystal material is merely poured into a multi-layered Serpinski capillary system where microelectric fields can direct crystallization and geometries. The only downfall is the material's production, which involves classified super toxic precursor materials and requires a zero-gravity environment. So yeah, that's where we start to dabble a little bit in some of that Forerunner lore, some some mm-hmm. early 100,000 type stuff going on there. Yeah. But then we have a pressure seal. And the pressure seal is obviously the aspect that keeps the suit, you know, fully atmosphere closed so they can be in space for certain amounts of time and, you know, will basically protect them for any external environmental issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just plugging it up. Plugging the drain. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like that uh, flex seal meme, essentially. Yes. Just, just throw the <laughs> yes. tape on there. The pressure seal is just a can of flex seal shoved into the suit. <laughs> <laughs> and next we have the titanium nanocomposite bodysuit. Sandwiched between the external armor and the inner padding is a thick black armored bodysuit. So this is the one that we're very familiar with mm-hmm. that you kind of see between the armor plating. Mm-hmm. The suit has numerous functions, small but vital to the safety and survival of the wearer. The bodysuit is made of a titanium-based material, making it very strong and yet very flexible, comma, flex seal. (laughs) It also serves as another layer of protection against ballistic attacks and is coated with a heat-resistant material to disperse heat from plasma weapons. Mm -hmm. And then next we have biofoam injectors. Known to be present in the Mark V and the Mark VI generations, biofoam injectors are the integral part of the system's ability to keep the Spartan II functioning in battle. 
Biofoam is a medical gel that is used to fill and seal a wound automatically. It is also used to treat any infection that can occur as a result of the wound. The process of injecting or applying the gel to a wound is extremely painful and is only temporary solution. Medical attention must be sought soon after to ensure survivability. Please write that down, folks. Yes. Don't do that. We've seen it in the games, you know, mm. especially in like ODST. Yes. You know, we see we see the aspects of it. So, you know, makes sense. Slap it in the suit. That we don't have to take it all off. Yeah. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. So so maybe that's like a little, probably their back end explanation of if, you, if you're if you an inch from death in the game and then you just kind of reheal. It's like, ah, oh, they biofoamed you. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. Next, we have reactive circuits. Reactive circuits are systems installed directly linked to the Spartan's neural interface. They amplify the wearer's reaction time by connecting directly to the thoughts of the wearer making it much easier to control and allowing for the soldier to be more efficient and have a higher survival rate in combat. So linked in also, you know, like like we said, the inner suit kind of helps them not only with the muscles, but links in the actual brain Mm -hmm. to kind of work together with it. And to wrap up the inner components, we have the lockdown system. The lockdown system protects muscles and joints from traumatic, high-impact injuries by seizing the suit into a rigid posture through modifying the density of the hydrostatic gel layer. So this is what we saw at the very beginning of Halo 3. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Kind of him crash landing, basically becoming a pod in and of itself, like a drop pod. Yeah. That'll, that'll work with that to prevent any injuries. And then eventually, you know, he wakes up and he's like, I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> that, that's verbatim what he says. Yeah, that is that is quote from Halo 3. Uh, next up, we have the outer components. So the ones that you're familiar to, you know, familiar seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, the outer shell of the Mjolnir armor consists of a fairly thick titanium alloy. This alloy is very resilient, can take significant punishment, and is nearly impervious to small arms fire. While enough shots from armor-piercing rounds will breach the outer shell, the suit can take a few glancing blows from them without compromising the armor. The outer shell of the Mjolnir suit is covered with a refractive coating to help disperse the heat experienced from Covenant Energy weapons. However, one or two direct hits from any plasma weapon will compromise the armor's plating. On legendary, mainly. Yes, 100% (laughs) on legendary. Let's talk about integrated communications helmet. The Mjolnir helmet is one of the most vital aspects of the Mjolnir armor system. It is made of titanium and features a heads-up display that links to the brain and hands and can identify equipment and display information about it when it is picked up by the wearer. An environmental control unit that includes filters to remove toxins from the atmosphere and a rebreather to automatically supply oxygen to the wearer during EVA. In addition, the helmet is packed with a thermal and motion sensors, communications, solar-powered lighting, and imaging and video gear. And one last thing. Um, if you look real closely and you have, like, a pretty wide FOV, there's a tiny fan at the top right, it's one of those fans you got in grade school where you like, flick it open and it just turns on and mist you. It's got you. the styrofoam, uh, styrofoam propellers blades yep. that you're always like poking. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of mist. Uh, yeah, that's part, that's part of the uh, the heat resistance system. <laughs> oh, man. The most important feature, though, is the direct neural interface system, which connects to Spartan's neural implants. Two core processor chips are implanted into the subject's skull in the rear of the head. This is essentially comparable to an onboard computer using parts of the human brain for processing. When the connector at the rear of the subject's head and receptors in the brain link to the helmet's onboard sensors, it creates the neural link needed to move the Mjolnir suit. Yeah, so it's basically what allows you to plug into it and do it. And go. It's a power cord. Exactly. Kind of. You are the power cord. (laughs) Next, we have the titanium alloy outer shell. 
Like we said, the outer shell of the Mjolnir armor is composed of a fairly thick titanium alloy. It covers, you know, everything from head to toe for the most part, and it just leaves those joints out where we see that kind of black mesh mm-hmm. under layer coming through. You know, like we said, it can take a few blows um, from small arms fire. You know, it can take a sniper shot to the chest, apparently, but not the head. <laughs> uh, no, but but obviously built to withstand as much as it can. You know, plasma fire will get through it in a few hits, but we will see that change as we start to talk about more implementations of, you know, shielding and other Mm -hmm. aspects improved with the armor. And then we have the memory processor superconductor layer. Introduced with the Mark V, this layer allows a starship-grade AI to travel with a soldier into the field. The AI can then aid the soldier in software intrusion, hardware hacking, and espionage by listening to enemy chatter. And then we also have the magnetic weapon holder strips. These strips are very small yet powerful magnets placed on the leg, waist, and the back of the suit and are used to hold any equipment with a magnetic property. The suit also contains an electromagnetic system on the boots of the Mjolnir suit that allows its wearer to stay attached to a metal surface in zero-g environments and can be toggled on or off by the wearer. I wish we had this ability in the games, actually. Just climb up four on her walls. Yeah, and, and you kind of do, and it kind of pulls the lore. Like, when you do go into zero-G on the outside mm-hmm. of ships, like, you can still walk without, like, flying off. Yeah. So I think it adds that element a little bit to it, but also this is kind of like the lore Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We made this game a long time ago. And it was really hard to put weapons anywhere. It's just magnets everywhere. It's just magnets. You have no pockets. <laughs> You've got no pockets to put this. <laughs> uh, um, and obviously... Coming on, like what I said before, we have the energy shield system. Unsuccessfully tested with the Mark IV, properly introduced with the Mark V, and later refined with the Mark VI, the energy shield device is reversed engineered from Covenant technology. In 2532, 40 scientists and technicians would spend the next 20 years attempting to make some use of the technology. For decades, the attempts at cracking their tech had met with failure after failure. Some had given up on the project, and some had just left. But, however... At some point in the late 2540s, a breakthrough was made, and for the first time, the UNSC had successfully cracked and improved upon the Covenant tech. And, you know, the lore of the Covenant, pretty much all their systems and weapons were basically found and forged from Forerunner facilities Mm -hmm. and given that knowledge, and they were never meant to create, they just used what they were told. They couldn't couldn't adapt. Yeah. So, So we're now seeing humans be able to take that technology and improve on it and use it in better ways yeah because because that's what the covenant really do is they just adapt or they create a version of they don't ever try to make it better like Mm -hmm. you said like humanity always tries to make it better exactly and then we have the power plant integrated into the final production model for the mark IV in 2531 the microfusion cell is the most vital component of the mjolnir system as it provides power to all components of the armor The reactor is built into the suit that allows for nearly unlimited power. The fusion reactor is half of the size of a normal battery pack. Pre-2531 versions of the armor use a nuclear fission reactor as a source of power. However, because of the delicacy and radioactive nature of the fission reactor, its use was limited until it was replaced with a fusion plant in the final production model of the Mark IV. We've got two other aspects of the armor before we kind of dive in to, you know, like the different iterations of them. Mm-hmm. We have the power supply control unit, just like your computer. <laughs> you have a power supply that helps control where, like, the power will go. Mm-hmm. And we have a fail-safe detonation system, which we have seen within the lore, and we've seen it with several books. Yes. It is a 
pretty much last resort to make sure that the armor stays out of enemy hands. Yes. And basically, you detonate a nuclear kind of nuclear reactor we just talked about there yes. that Jesse was talking about. You detonate that, and it basically is a tiny atom bomb that goes off, detonating the suit, obviously killing the wearer, but killing kind of anything within proximity to make sure that nothing is recoverable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now let's talk about prototype exoskeletons. Yeah, so kind of our, our first iterations of it, kind of the first bits in the lore, once again, like in prototype, mm-hmm. and some of the first aspects we see in the Fall of Reach when the Spartans are training with these guys in exoskeletons. Yes. So this is kind of what we're talking about. So let's talk about the Mark One exoskeleton. Initiated in 2515, the Mark One was one of Oni's first experiments with powered exoskeletons. More human-powered defense structure than suits, the Mark I took 10 years to develop, but was bulky, unwieldy, and needed to be tethered to a power source due to the tremendous amount of energy needed to power it. This caused the system's downfall, as it required a physical connection to a fusion generator, which hindered the movement. Mm-hmm. The Mark I prototype exoskeleton improved the strength and stamina of the wearer and allowed the user to lift 2 tons, or 4,000 pounds, and run at 32 kilometers per hour, little under 20 miles per hour. However, pretty useless <laughs> if you have to be tethered. You could basically just run around like a dog in a yard. Yeah, like run to the end of your chain and bark. Exactly. Now, the Mark I contained a cutting-edge onboard computer that could assist the wearer by transmitting tactical and comms data. And, you know, it really basically was the start of that idea of AIs coming through mm-hmm. to kind of be able to transmit those aspects to it. Uh, the armor could also be equipped with motion sensors and infrared scopes, and it could be mounted with a 30-millimeter minigun that fired on self-targeting armatures. Hell yeah. Yeah. Research and development for the Mark I was carried out by Section 3's headquarters inside Castle Base on Reach. Though the final assembly of components occurred at the Damascus Materials Testing Facility on Shai Seti 4. Mm-hmm. At least 40 Mark I suits were produced, although they never saw battlefield deployment. Many were converted to carry heavy equipment in docking bays, and dozens of others were dumped into Reach's titanium mines. It's kind of sad. Yeah, but I like that they... And I like that they built that into it, that they adapted them around. And mm-hmm. it's like they're just like warehouse stuff or like in the yeah. mines. And it makes sense to be able to lift so much weight. So basically they just produced a forklift with arms and legs. Correct. <laughs> the Mark One exoskeletons were later used by trainers of the Spartan Twos to protect themselves against the Spartans' newly acquired strength. Otherwise, the training could have killed them as evidence when three trainers were accidentally killed during hand-to-hand combat exercises against Spartans. Yeah, so like I said, in the Fall of Reach, is kind of where we first get to see the exoskeletons. Mm-hmm, yeah, because uh, the Spartan twos were all like dressed as ninjas and whatnot, yes. just taking them out. Yeah, and then we move on to the Mark II exoskeleton. The Mark II exoskeleton was similar to the Mark I, but it had a slimmer profile which greatly increased mobility. However, the suit still needed to tether to the fusion generator, so despite being more powerful and being one of the most powerful pieces of military tech that was around, it was still impractical to drop in a battlefield. Mm. You'd have to drop a big generator behind it, which made no sense. (laughs) Um, But one of the big things that it did have was reflective coating that could disperse heat to basically from explosive attacks or any other aspects Mm -hmm. that would glance off of it, which we do see start to adapt, and one of the first pieces that we start to see adapt that are going to go towards our modern Milner suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Then we have the Mark III exoskeleton. Introduced in 2510, the Mark III incorporated a wireless power transmitter and receiver so that power could be transmitted directly to it, much like the orbital defense platforms used to defend UEG colonies. The design was quickly rejected for two reasons. First, the armor still had a limited operational range as it had to remain within range of the bulky immobile generator. Mm-hmm. And then second, if the generator was disabled or destroyed, the suit would be disabled, leaving its user trapped inside a useless shell, helpless against an enemy attack. In the end, all of the first three prototypes had one thing in common. It was impractical on the battlefield, and its range was severely limited by the lack of mobile power sources. Yeah, and all three of these iterations roughly came out about the same time. You know, I think their inception was kind of early 2500s mm-hmm. and played around with. But like you said, like even though those three iterations that improved a little bit on each other, there wasn't much to go off of no. having to drag a giant battery behind you. Mm-mm. So, to really you know go off of that, we we finally see our first jump into some actual quote unquote Spartan armor. Yes, you know with the first kind of Mjolnir, and so the first generation starts with that Mark IV. So, if you didn't know what, why it started at Mark IV, you now see that there was three battery powered junk suits before <laughs> it. Uh, so, starting with the Mark IV, although earlier attempts at developing high powered armor produced designs that were, like we said, impractical. The Mark IV Mjolnir-powered exoskeleton would be the first successful powered armor system that saw deployment on the battlefield. Developed by Dr. Catherine Halsey, the Mark IV was a radical redesign of powered exoskeletons, was a radical redesign of powered exoskeletons making use of technological innovations that did not exist when they were really starting out in the first early 2500s. Mm-hmm. And really what set it apart was now having that fusion reactor on the inside of the armor, mm-hmm. so allowing it to be mobile. The Mark IV Mjolnir armor you know, was battle-tested and battle-worn from November 27th, 2525 to November 24th, 2551. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were numerous early prototypes of the Mjolnir armor. One such prototype was upgraded to withstand concussive force. The design of this prototype was later used for the Grenadier armor system. Which I love now that we are jumping slightly into these armor systems. We're going to see... Prototypes and aspects that didn't make it into the quote-unquote cannon armor, basically yeah. Master Chief's armor, mm-hmm. but we're going to see kind of that lore build up into the multiplayer armors and things mm-hmm. like that, which I think was such a neat aspect that they kind of added in with it. Yeah, but then, you know, we had the initial production model. Five months after production began for the Mjolnir PAA entered service, the initial version was bulky, angular, and restrictive in mobility. Due to its design philosophy being centered around the human insurrection, this model was not adequately prepared for dealing with advanced alien technology and weapons. Although highly advanced, the suit entered service in in an accelerated state due to the Covenant threat. As such, upgrades to the suit were already in the works when it was issued to the Spartans. At least seven variant models have been introduced by April 2526. In 2531, the suit was replaced by a generational upgrade to better combat the alien threat. Mm-hmm. And this was the same kind of prototype, first-gen initial, where we saw they first tried to test it with Marines. Mm-hmm. And that's when they would, like, like, they would twitch, and the army goes, twitch? And it would just <laughs> yeah, smash snap them, their snap arms, them in half. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of that initial. Then we get to the final production aspect of it. By 2535, the Mjolnir system had become the single most expensive item ever produced by the UNSC. It had been intended as a continuous, pioneering effort to shatter technological barriers. However, 
with each suit costing as much as a destroyer, the manufacturing aspect and overseeing of the budget decimated the fiscal you know year budgets that they had. So mm-hmm. this was one of those things where it's like, okay, we need like ten more ships, but I got ten suits of armor right here. I need that better. And they go, okay. And it was yeah. needed. Like we said, this this was a turning point of the war. So I think it was kind of that all hands on deck, like money's not mm-hmm. an option aspect. And also Oni has infinite purse chains of just cash around. <laughs> so like, we'll just help with that. But yeah, so, so overall, thus the Mark system was added to the Mjolnir with the current version being retroactively designed Mark IV to suggest continuity with the powered exoskeleton program that had previously occurred Mm, yeah and so overall that third generation aspect of kind of the suit coming together included numerous improvements not available at the beginning of the war including a standardized vacuum survival system standard fusion power and a new radar sensory package Mm -hmm. yeah so so all in all general improvements to what we saw when you know chief and blue team and, and the rest of them got the suits when that covenant first attacked them yes and and obviously it also helps really push the lore aspect that Cortana can kind of help deliver upgrades to it mm-hmm. because it's kind of it's always occurring. And if it's always somewhat a system that can be downloaded, you can kind of see her aspect of being able to do it herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the variants of this, which yeah. is essentially your multiplayer suits. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you had, like, the Air Assault, which was developed as an improvement of the ODST armor. Mm -hmm. We also have the CQC, which was a variant of the Close Quarters Combat, which also included boarding actions. Yeah, so we'll see in these variants that some were made, like, specifically for these aspects. So, like, the Mm -hmm. ODST armor, you know, being more of, like, that drop pod stuff. Air Assault, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then CQC, Close Quarters Combat, makes sense. So they've definitely developed a lot of these suits for specifics which i love that they introduce because we obviously don't really see that or talk about in the mainline games that Mm -hmm. much but to actually have like okay you're going to be kind of like the boarding team you know or or that repels borders so you're going to be like bigger and bulkier you know something along those lines yeah well you even had like scout which was a variant that was specifically for stealth missions exactly so i I love that aspect and i would love to see more of that in the games themselves a little bit Mm mm-hmm to use those aspects they, of it. They incorporated it a little bit, I will say, with Reach, because June uses Scout, yes. and then you have, like, uh, George using Grenadier. So you definitely started seeing that. Now, when it comes to the rest of the games, you kind of do and don't, because you have Palmer using Scout, but then you kind of see the rationale of all the other Spartan 4s using their armors, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like just put, putting a name and an armor together. Yeah, and I agree. I would love to see you know an aspect of being able to truly use those armors mm. for a reason. Yeah. Almost like a Star Wars Battlefront-esque yes, idea on yes. it. That might be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So now we are on the Mark V. In 2542, 17 years after the Mjolnir Mark IV entered service, production began on the next generation of Mjolnir armor. A team under the leadership of chief scientist Dr. Catherine Halsey would spend the next 10 years developing the suit. Using data collected from the Mark IV, hundreds of minor technical improvements and several major changes were made to the Mark V. Most notably, the suit's armor plating underwent a total redesign and better material were developed for its use. Separating the Mark V from its previous version of the system were two major breakthroughs in the ways in which the suit improves in the wearer's combat effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And the first major breakthrough, which was introduced you know, with that first gen of the Mark V, mm-hmm. was the addition of a self-charging energy shield system reverse engineered from that uh, you know, Kigyar shield aspect that we 
we saw mm-hmm. the scientists kind of eventually break through mm-hmm. and to be able to really put that to the test. You know, plus they were able to add other hazardous elemental energy aspects to the cover. So basically they were able to say, okay, not only like plasma weapons, but also environmental hazards and you know, just any other aspect that that shield could basically take over and use on the full aspect of the suit itself. Mm-hmm. However, the adaptation of the shield covering the entire body weakens the magnetic field, making the Mark V's energy shield system vulnerable to sustained fire, as we see in the games. Yep. Energy shield tech was first tested on that Mark IV, though such tests were not really successful and kind of blipped out. I think we hear, I forget what book, I think we hear a little bit about it, but it's just kind of like it would blip up and couldn't hold or could only like do yeah. certain systems, but was finally somewhat perfected on the Mark V. Yeah. So the second major advancement, which was not implemented until the second generation of the suit, was the addition of the layer of computer memory superconductor that would allow an artificial intelligence to piggyback into the field with the operator to both provide and gather real-time intelligence. Mm -hmm. The synthesis of artificial intelligence with a human brain is not possible without an upgrade to the user's already specialized neural interface. Like the standard neural interface, the specialized neural lace translates electrochemical signals to digital code and routes them through an interface connection at the rear of the skull. Basically, in layman's terms, it kind of turns the energy and electronics from your brain into computer components, basically zeros and ones, Mm -hmm. to kind of communicate back and forth. Yeah. Through this interface, the user's thoughts, commands, and the armor's movement and weapons and input from onboard sensors is fed directly to the user's minds. And and yeah, essentially, so that it comes down to what we said earlier, is that that chip can be no bigger than a credit card. Yeah, so it's the same same, beefy chip we see Mm -hmm. implemented in, and, you know, This is really where we start to see the implementation and really push the aspect of an AI being able to work simultaneously with the user of the suit. Yeah. The suit also possesses other upgraded features that enhance the wearer's abilities. It has, you know, the upgraded heads-up display. It has, you know, ability to see your your allies' vitalities and, you know, a couple other aspects that really improved the battlefield mechanics of it itself you know and we see that this was able to be implemented because these are all like bios updates so if you ever mm-hmm. work the computer gotta get your updates going and that's once again the lore aspect that cortana can kind of just download it in get some updates to mm-hmm. the wearer's armor itself and to you know be able to push more of those increased aspects to the user mm-hmm. and its second phase the mark 5 mjolnir battle armor weighs about a quarter of a ton, so 226.8 kilograms, with its Spartan wear. The Spartan-Mjolnir combination is designed to be the most devastating intelligence tool ever created, as the AI can greatly increase the wearer's reaction time and vastly improve intelligence-gathering capacity. John 117 was the first Spartan to test the second-generation Mjolnir Mark V with a smart AI implemented within the armor during a live-fire combat scenario. And, you know, we, we this was covered in The Fall of Reach, mm-hmm. where he had to just go ring a bell and... This is where Ackerson... Ackerson, yeah. Um, yeah. Basically just tried to screw them over and kill them, and he literally, uh, like, bitch-slaps a missile. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they're like, yeah, we'll do a live fire. See, this armor's all it's cracked up to be. Because, you know, if you don't know, Halls, Dr. Halsey and Colonel Ackerson were at each other's throats about this program. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted kind of his own thing. And because she stole a lot of his funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he he wanted ODST. She wanted Spartans. Exactly. So he was like, okay, just ring that bell. 
And then he puts, you know, jets and tanks and just other stuff out there to mm-hmm. kind of go after it. But, you know, we see in the end, Chief is victorious. <laughs> and after the Human Covenant War, the Mark V Mjolnir components were adapted for the use of the Spartan IV in the Mjolnir Gen 2 armor. The Gen 2 variant of the Mark V was tested at the Damascus Testing Facility in Valcom on Shai Seti IV a significant Mjolnir development site for several decades. Mm-hmm. It's where we saw them get their first set of armor whenever they, the Covenant first kind of attacked them in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, let's talk about the Gen 1. A large number of variants of the Mark V were manufactured for use in the field. In addition, the armor system is compatible with components and variants created for the earlier or later Mjolnir generations. Yeah, and this Gen 1 is kind of put in there because we see a little bit of aspect used in the multiplayer armor Mm -hmm. and in the aspects of the different types we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, we do have variants, again, like we have the Air Assault, the... CQC, EOD, like all of those are kind of transferring over, but we do have some new ones like Gun Gear. And then Hazop as well was a new one. And even some of them like the military police as mm-hmm. well. So they, they started adapting. They they brought over all the old ones for the most part, but then started doing a lot more new ones. Yeah, and, ex- and expanding out, you know, mm-hmm. being able to use for different operations that were needed. Like you said, Hazop being working with hazardous materials, mm-hmm. making a suit very much specific to handle overly hazardous materials. Mm-hmm. So we definitely see those aspects jump in. And to kind of wrap up those Mark Vs, we do see a Mark VI prototype in the works. Oh. And in 2552, prior to the fall of Reach, a Mark VI helmet was tested on Mark V armor alongside the recon armor set. So a little bit of lore in that aspect that they were kind of already working on something before stuff hit the fan and, and mm-hmm. had to move on. Well, that's always kind of been the thing with the uh, Mjolnir project is that they're always going forward. They're always trying to they, they get done. It's like the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Okay, we released our iPhone. We have to do a new one by next year. Exactly. Let's talk about the Mark VI. Late into the war, as the Mjolnir Mark V was being completed, a top-secret parallel development lab in Sognum, Korea, began work on their prototype project, Mjolnir. This project came to be known as Mjolnir Black, a standalone Skunk Works prototype of the Mark VI Mjolnir armor. Using data from existing and in-development versions of the Mjolnir armor, the Sognum team was able to produce a suit with many technical advancements not yet available to the standard Mjolnir armor. After extensive testing of the prototype models in combat against the Covenant, the black prototype was eventually inducted into the Mjolnir line and officially designated as the sixth version. It was improved for use after the loss of Reach and equipped to surviving Spartan twos after their arrival on Earth. Mm-hmm. The Mark VI is capable of taking full advantage of the physical capabilities of a Spartan. The suit is constructed in overlapping layers, and it is environmentally sealed, capable of extravehicular activity, and operations in a toxic atmosphere. You know, so this is where we get those added filters Mm -hmm. and just more kind of like bells and whistles added to the system to yes. allow because one because right now we've been fighting the covenant for a while mm-hmm. so so we're finally getting those aspects of what do we really need to deal with this what are the aspects we're losing spartans and what can we do to improve that mm-hmm. um, the armor's shell is composed of that multi-layer of augmented titanium now so we're having like this augmented titanium alloy layer that is you know really integrating those covenant energy shieldings mm-hmm. and getting a better opportunity to, I guess, fight against the Covenant in a way. So, I mean, this mm-hmm. is pretty much our main enemy this entire time. How do we improve against their specific weaponry? Mm-hmm. This is where we also get that gel-filled underlayer. And 
a little bit updates on those computer aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Spartans are implemented with a unique model of the command neural interface. This network translates electrochemical signals to digital code and routes them into an interface connection at the rear of the skull. Kind of wash, rinse, repeat. Exactly. It's it's, it's universal across almost all of the Mjolnir armors. Think of it as like USB... A to USB B, not USB C. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just it's just making more streamlined, faster, mm-hmm. and improvements to make it easier on the Spartan. Yeah, through this interface, the user's thoughts command the armor's movement and use of weapons, and input from and onboard sensors come directly to the user's mind. The combination of machine and mind is so fast that it is almost impossible to chart the reaction time. Mm-hmm. And each suit of Mjolnir Mark VI armor contains a layer of superconducting computer memory. Envisioned by Dr. Catherine Halsey, this revolutionary layer forms a network capable of supporting the kinds of artificial intelligence usually reserved for starships, a piggyback system. Mm -hmm. So as we said, we're kind of repeating a little bit more of what we talked about earlier in the episode, but Mm -hmm. to the specifics of which suits are kind of getting those those new aspects to Mm -hmm. it. The suit also contains a strength-enhancing layer. This marvel of engineering uses piezoelectric properties to enhance and assist a Spartan's already prodigious muscle power and grant superhuman feats of might. Mm-hmm. The Mark VI largely solved problems we've seen in the earlier versions. It's basically got that hugely improved uh, shield system. Mm-hmm. It has a denser but less thick armor plating. So if that yes. ma- if that makes sense, if it yeah, basically yeah. can take more of a brunt, but it's thinner and lighter. Mm-hmm. You know, as we get, we need those Spartans to be able to move. You know, what if they got to go behind the bookshelf to grab something? You don't be too bulky for it. They can squeeze in there. They're going for tone, not bulk. Yeah, exactly. These ones are going for tone. <laughs> they, they've already been down that alley, so they're bringing it back down. Um, you know, obviously in a, in addition to all those aspects, like I just said, we're getting some smaller technical improvements that. What I love is like a recoil actuator. So it's basically going to help deal with more of the recoil with weaponry mm-hmm. and the performance of the Spartan in hand-to-hand combat and be able to like switch between weapons without sacrificing any of their systems within the armor. And this also gives you a continuous monitoring of weapons, biological functions, and motion through intelligent motion tracking. The third stage in the Mjolnir evolution the Mjolnir Mark VI is a fully neural link system. With that onboard AI using the human mind for parallel processing, the Spartan II Mjolnir combo is now, again, the most devastating aspect in the universe. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the variants of the Mark VI. Mm-hmm. Being a modular armor system, Mjolnir can fulfill multiple combat roles and operate in various environments. A number of variants have been designed to meet the mission requirements and situations. These variants are a pinnacle of Mjolnir evolution from design and function gathered from data, feedback, incidents, and general design improvements gathered throughout the Human Covenant War. And, you know, again, we have a bunch that have carried over, but they yeah. also got rid of some. And I think I think one of my favorites is the Rogue, which is basically set by private companies. So we're starting mm-hmm. to see a lot more of this privatization yes. within, the, within the military of these aspects. They have the giant logo on the side for advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to carry a flag into battle with, like, Chick-fil-A <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they're, they're adding to it, and we're seeing improvements. Um, you know, like with the ODST, it's an improvement of the Mark V ODST. So a lot of these we're seeing that overall – they're just improving on what they have, which I think is a smart aspect, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have the Mark V upgrade. 
2552, the Mark V helmet received an upgrade to Mark VI, and then current issue internal components and software. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Mark VI mod. Referred to as the Mark VI mod, the Mark VI Mjolnir armor, it was worn by John Woman Seven following the end of the Human Covenant War and was updated by the UNSC AI Cortana during his four year and seven months of cryosleep aboard the UNSC Forward Onto Dawn. Yeah, so this is also the, oh, it got fixed and yeah, improved. This was, this was the uh, the nanobots explanation yes. that was had to be explained in a separate interview Outside of the game entirely. Exactly. That's a different debate. That's a different debate. But we also have the Gen 2 related variants. So some Mark VI variants are superficially similar to the Gen 2 Mjolnir armor introduced in the wake of the Human Covenant War. By October 20, 2552, Frederick and Linda had been issued the prototype Centurion and Argus variants. Both of these armors have a bodysuit similar to that of the Gen 2 armor, and they would stay superficially unchanged with that transition to the Gen 2 platform. Mm -hmm. Fred and Linda received an upgraded Gen 2 versions of the suits and in the post-war era. While Kelly donned the Gen 2 Hermes variant at some point after being rescued from the Shield World Trevelyan. And then to wrap it all up with Gen 3, on February 10th, 2559, the Materials Group manufactured John 117's Gen 3 Mark VI armor. Mm -hmm. Now we're on to some more hypotheticals. Hmm. Some potentials. Some what ifs. Some possibly would have been here in November, but we're going to be here next year. Some Mark Seven armor. <laughs> so these are all hypotheticals. Theoretical design elements for a seventh iteration of Mjolnir were proposed by Dr. Catherine Halsey in her personal journal in 2535. How many of these features were implemented in the final product is unknown. The Mark Seven appeared to have been the last planned phase of the Mjolnir project at the time of conception. It would have utilized a power system made of plasma and fusion tech that also had a slip space deinsertion capability and just all these like crazy aspects that I think really fans had also been asking for. I think this is almost like a fan service built into like what ifs, mm-hmm. which I really like. And so like within that slip space deinsertion capability, they could exit slip space travel into normal space with no issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Due to unexpected technological breakthroughs, some of these upgrades were implemented earlier than planned and presumably featured in the production versions of the Mark 7. For example, the Mark 6 has integrated atmospheric insertion capabilities, which allow a Spartan to free fall from space without re-entry vehicles such as a SOEIV. However, this requires a drag chute or a parachute, whereas a theoretical Mark VII would have all the necessary technology integrated into the suit. You just jump right in. And then we jump over to the Mark VII. So we're getting deeper in, and really this was supposed to be, I believe, like the last iteration of Mjolnir Armor. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but it was kind mm-hmm. of supposed to be this proposed last-gen, you know, maybe this could be the last thing that we really mm-hmm. need. So for Gen 1, the Mark 7 was produced by a supplier other than the Office of Naval Intelligence's material group. What? So it's kind of that, you know, one of the real first aspects of major, major production going to an outside source. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was basically allowing them to get the armor suits quicker, faster, you know, typically when you outsource stuff, sometimes you can get those things just at better rates and, you know, fun stuff like that. But the Mark 7 also features limited energy shield shaping. So it basically kind of shrinks it down, and but it allows just for more mobility in and of itself. Naomi Oten's Mark 7 suit 
resembles the Mark V-B, which may be due to the Spartan's choice in her armor's appearance. Once again, kind of speculation on those aspects, but mm-hmm. she has the potential of having a Mark Seven suit. The Mark Seven platform saw some amount of iteration on the Gen 2 platform, a Mjolnir development. Though proved to be cost-ineffective to mass-produce and was never manufactured in large numbers. In light of development of the more versatile Gen 2 platform, which enabled more economical optimization for the different Spartan generations in service. The first generation Mjolnir was optimized mainly for the Spartan 2s. Mm-hmm. However, a number of technologies developed for the Mark 7 program were incorporated to the Mjolnir Gen 2 system. The closest Gen 2 armor model to the Mark 7 is the Decimator variant, though it is mostly unknown outside of the Spartan Special Forces community. And we'll get to that like so this the like Mjolnir or basically like the Spartan sets like of seven six five those are going to end we're gonna get generations after this and that's mm-hmm. where you start to see spartan threes and fours getting their own armor yes. and getting the iterations into those aspects mm-hmm. and wrapping this up with gen three by october 2558 the mark seven was used as a test bed for the mjolnir powered assault armor gen three but it remained uncertain if manufacturers would adopt the standards and cost accounting by the united earth government eventually the efforts of the mark seven and decimator programs alongside similar projects were just kind of put to the wayside and it was designed to be like, okay, we're going to get this to, to the latest and greatest Spartans right now, but we've got some ideas on some new things that we're working on. And though it does represent a generational leap from the Mjolnir program for ad- adopting developed Spartans, some elements tested with the Gen 1 and Gen 2 Mark 7 remain as the prototype stage because they were just too expensive. Mm-hmm. It was just far too expensive to produce some of these things and you know, trying to get because this is really where they're really trying to push, we need forerunner things in these suits. Mm-hmm. And people are like, we can't do that. We can't figure those things out. But we may see those things later down the road. Now we're on the second generation. And, you know, let's start with Mjolnir-powered assault armor, or, you know, Gen 2. The armor was designed to compensate for Spartan 4's less extensive physical augmentations in comparison to the previous two generations. As a result, the armor multiplies the strength of its wear significantly more than the first generation suits, granting the Spartan 4's roughly equal strength to their predecessors while wearing the suit. So that does kind of explain... Spartan Lock and Chief kind of going at it. The Gen 2 suit is also lighter and stronger in construction than the first generation Mjolnir line, mm-hmm. weighing approximately a couple hundred kilograms. Gen 2 Mjolnir integrates the vast majority of the armor's vital hardware systems within the inner tech suit itself, allowing the more streamlined production and easier implementation of the specialized subsystems and armatures. The Gen 2 armor incorporates new ad hoc modification systems which allow the armor to use armor abilities, tactical packages, and support upgrades. Like its Gen 1 predecessors, it's backwards compatible. Through hardware and firmware updates with previous armor systems including the Mark 4, 5, 6, 7, and the Mjolnir variants of the ODST armor. So once again, this was kind of the aspect of pushing in lore and giving you the multiplayer ideas of bringing that armor to kind of the current system, current gen yes. of, of what you're going to yes. play them as. In addition, Gen 2 armor features integration with artificial intelligences ranging from volatile smart AIs to simple yet complex dumbass. So this is really the first aspect we get. I mean, we do get it earlier uh, with Fred, but this is kind of the first implementation where they want the Spartans to kind of have an AI for everybody 
and get and kind of push that, which is mm-hmm. kind of neat. The AIs that manage the Mjolnir BIOS and Visor are generally passive helpers that integrate, prioritize, and even subtly alter the torrent of data and sensory overrides fed to the armor's Spartan user. So basically simplifies everything for them to make it easy to process. Mm-hmm. You know, And while these AIs are incapable of humans' oversight, they are still a valuable component of the... The broker armor mechanism is a Da Vinci multi-axis assembly system used to mount Mjolnir onto a Spartan's tech suit. Yep, this is where we now get all of our aspects. So this is... So the the... The broker is basically kind of that thing that'll connect all the armor together, put the pieces mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. and also once again for the lore aspect, if you're choosing different shoulders mm-hmm. or changing things up, that's basically what it's saying is that. So, so when you are customizing your armor in four and five, in the background, that's what's happening. You got that guy just standing there getting all changed out. Yeah, and they're like putting it on, like taking it <laughs> off. <laughs> ah, I don't look good on that. Change it out. Mm-hmm. But this is really, really where we get a huge, huge introduction to variants. And to really where they want to implement them in there. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we'll touch on a couple of them, but overall, the Gen Two of the Mjolnir armor has introduced a hundred and five variants with just the Gen Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is absolutely crazy, but it's nice at the same time if you want to look at it as like a multiplayer aspect. Like you do get so much more customization for all of these. Well, exactly, and they they bring back some of. If not all of, I believe, the old systems we had in mm-hmm. basically, basically think of it, the Bungie era mm-hmm. brought most, if not all, of that back, along with the introduction to a lot of three four three tech that's added mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, so so they, it was kind of like the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. uh, and they did some interesting ones like the Oceanic, which was a variant designed uh, to combat in waterfront areas. Like they kind of did this thing where it's like everything, like yes. no matter where you are, what you're fighting, we have a variant for that. You know, they still did bring back like the ODST one as well, or even they have like the Nightfall variant, which is used for inhospitable worlds. Well, and I just love that they have Ricochet, which is literally put in to practice the game mode Ricochet <laughs> as combat training. So I love to think of that as like, like but what if we had sports? <laughs> what if we're fighting s- the Covenant and they're really well-versed in our sports? And they're like, hey, let's play a game of football. <laughs> Sounds good. And, of course, they did bring back, you know, EOD. You know, we have a CQB as well. Uh, and, and just all these different ones that they brought, which I think was interesting because, again, we didn't. We don't have to have flavor text or explanation for a lot of these, but they they gave those to us. Mm-hmm. But now we're on the third generation Mjolnir powered assault armor. So let's talk about the early history and development. Although the Mjolnir powered assault armor Gen Two meant a radical simplification of the Mjolnir platform to the point it could be mass produced, some of the Spartan operations branch were dissatisfied with its minimal performance improvement over the old Gen 1 systems. Mm -hmm. For that reason, the UNSC decided to manufacture the next generation of Mjolnir armors. Yeah, and around October 17th, 2558, the Mark VI was used as the testbed for the Gen 3 improvements, as we said earlier. Mm -hmm. But it remained uncertain if manufacturers would adopt the standards and the cost that went into it. Because obviously we saw... With the upgrade to like Gen or to um, Mark Seven, they were like, "Put this in there. Let's just have them jump out of. Let's have them do this." They're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! That's expensive money." So I think they had to kind of, you know, that's what they really did with the Gen Two is kind of look back, like, "Is that worth it?" Let's test with the Gen Three and see if that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So on February tenth, twenty five fifty nine, four months after the rise of Cortana and the Created, the Materials Group manufactured the Gen Three armor. 
And in October of 2559, John 117 and Blue Team were deployed on a covert mission to Castle Base. The armor saw use during this mission, and several months later, on May 28, 2560, the armor was used by John 117 during a conflict on a Halo ring. Mm. So when it comes to design and features, the conceptual design framework incorporates lessons from Mjolnir Gen 2 line of Mjolnir while using performance and higher levels of protection given to the Mjolnir Gen 1 line of Mjolnir. Mm -hmm. The Gen 3 armor used by Master Chief in 2559 looks aesthetically similar to the Mjolnir Gen 1 Mark IV armor variant used by some Spartan II commandos during Operation Warm Blanket. While the helmet shares similarities to the Mjolnir Gen 1 Mark Six helmet uh, used during the last months of the Human Covenant War. Basically everything that we're seeing and we know so far leading up to Halo Infinite. Mm -hmm. So as with all these, we have now kind of given you guys a full culmination. Uh, it's a lot to digest. I know it's very wordy, but we kind of wanted to give you guys really the nitty gritty on this. A little bit of comedy, but a little bit of more, but a little bit of more structure in this mm -hmm. one to, to really break it down and had those aspects. A couple of things I didn't include with this was, you know, obviously some of the equipment variations of having booster and, yeah. and, and drop shields and all this other stuff. It's all armor equipment that can be added. Um, but as far as the, the, the integral suits themselves, I wanted to give you kind of the nitty gritty and what went into those aspects. But as always with these kind of little fun bonus episodes, we will now give you, you know, we're feeling cheery today. Why don't you give us our five best? Five best. We don't want to say the five worst, just the five best. We're on a positive note and today. I'm going, you know, I'm going off looks and kind of what they were meant in the field for me. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. I know that you kind of had the same ideas, but mm -hmm. also just like how cool you felt in multiplayer at times. Oh, it was, it was purely aesthetics. It was it was all bragging rights. Oh, yeah. Through and through. But I'll start off. Start with, yeah, start it off. I'll start off with mine. And there's, there's no particular order for me mm -hmm. um but I, I but to me i can't deny that one of my favorite armors is the halo 2 and 3 mark 5 armor mm -hmm. uh it, it just it's iconic it's so cool and it's so to me such a realistic suit for 500 years in the future yes i think it fits perfectly i fully agree and one that i that i know we both have so i'm gonna steal your thunder with this one is the <laughs> hayabusa mm -hmm. um you can't go wrong with mixing samurais and spartans it was just because because all up until the hayabusa armor everything we saw was you know something that really matters or really realistic obviously i don't think you'd ever see that kind of armor in the field yeah that was just bungee's kind of left you know pun intended left field armor and it i it was so cool i never had it i had a friend or two who had it and i just i envied them so much because it i it is, did because i was a true halo player <laughs> it is one of the coolest looking armors in our opinion uh but but going off of that the grenadier armor and reach is one of my favorites uh, it really because i i first saw you know playing halo reach saw george with it it is that variant of the mark for armor it's very similar to that and it is for kind of the more heavy weapons experts so uh, reach is one of my favorite or george in reach is one of my favorite spartans so i think it all just kind of works out yeah and that totally makes sense I, I totally appreciate that one that i appreciate that i don't know if a lot of people do is pathfinder mm -hmm. um i actually really like the pathfinder because it's basically a suit that is meant to help you drop in when there's like poor comms and a bunch of other aspects that have like occurred on the field mm -hmm. and overall i think it's just like a sleek suit i love like the like like windswept helmet i guess you could say it mm -hmm. um it's a bit it's a bit like chunky but not 
Don't shame. Exactly. I'm there for it. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Pathfinder is actually a pretty fun suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I like, you know, next on my list is I like the Rogue from Halo 3. Uh, it, that's purely just aesthetics. Mm-hmm. But again, I didn't play a lot of Halo 3 multiplayer, but I just, that was one of the armors, Hayabusa, and that one stuck out to me always. I was like, oh God, that's awesome. I need it. I'm really bad. I'll never get it, but I need it. And here's here's one that r- truly matters for me. I love dumb looking suits. <laughs> Here we go. And you know what's a dumb looking suit? Huh? Our vast ye matey, the Buccaneer. <laughs> the Buccaneer is the one that has that globe as the helmet, and it's just like a full visor. I love just Buccaneer. I love it. I I, I love the names for a lot of these. <laughs> and like, I mean, it's it's cool because you know it's it's kind of compatible with custom made aspects the spartans wanted but it's just that it was like really crude and a rough suit to use and i think Mm -hmm. i think it's just fantastic Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i also do love the uh halo reaches version of the eva armor it's one that uh emil has Mm -hmm. and the the c variant is where he has you know the skull the skull scratched in there and everything but i'm more so leaning towards the emil version but i think it's still it gives again that kind of realistic approach to what kind of armor we would be wearing 500 years in the future because it almost has like a spaceman feel to it. Yeah, my next one I picked mostly because they ripped off Overwatch, even though Overwatch came later, but they ripped off Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, is the Reaper suit because their character named Reaper, so I think it's the same <laughs> thing in my mind. But but the Reaper is really cool because this was humanity's attempt at basically creating a forerunner combat skin. Mm-hmm. The biggest issue with it in lore-wise is that they did it successfully, but they didn't because human tech still hasn't caught up that much that it's still yeah. just regular Mjolnir armor. Yeah. Like, it's still Gen 2, but it hasn't caught up. And I still think it's it's neat because it has, like, all these, like, little tips and, like, little, like, weird wing things coming off the arms. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, it looks like a generic suit, but I just like the story behind it and the mm-hmm. idea of, like, this is what they're going to try and push to, you know, really get it out there. Yeah, and for me, my honorable mention is the ODST variant in Halo Reach, mm-hmm. which Microsoft just let me pay money to actually <laughs> obtain that instead of work for it. MCC, that's all I want. Please, just let me do that. But that was always my go-to armor in Halo Reach, and it, you know, we had our little like clan. It was all of us in the ODST armor with like all the little variants. So really, it's very reminiscent to me. I think it was like the best version of the ODST armor. It was perfect. And my 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 HO, my honorable, my HO, my HM, <laughs> my my favorite HM is Surf. But if I had to pick my honorable mention, good old Pokemon humor, um, it'd be the Gun Gear. Mm, the Gun Gear is the Gungnir is is a neat suit because it one one if you're trying to look like a sweet mech suit that isn't the prototype, mm-hmm. it's the Gunganeer because it's all just boxy and it looks just mechanical and and just very machine-like. And I think, yeah. that, I think for the most part, a lot of Spartan armor is, is sleek, mm-hmm. Covenant-esque in some of them that has like the, the smooth curves going around yeah. a lot of stuff. But this one is just very reminiscent of a Gundam. And I think that's mm-hmm. really why I gravitated towards it. It's got a really neat aspect behind it of having different Gen 1 uh, and Gen 2 variants going with it. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it really kind of bounces off the Grenadier system as being, like, the sleeker model of it. Yeah. Um, so, overall, I think it's a fun suit. I think, overall, I, I'm really impressed with what Bungie and 343 have done for the suits. I think it's it's enough customizability that you can be really goofy with it. You can be really sleek. 
you know, and, and awesome looking with it. But overall, I think it allows everyone to create a character that they want to really want to play with and have some really cool aspects to go along with it. Yeah. But, you know, that was our quick little coverage of the Spartan armor, you know, Mjolnir, all the gens, all the, the variations, everything you really need to know the next time you go to a party, you could say, hey, you want to know about that liquid crystal stuff in the uh, Spartan outfit? Let me tell you about it. Actually, no, 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 no. Have a listening party about this with all your friends. Yeah, that's that. Ooh, that's how you really keep friends. <laughs> a listening party of this. Yeah, bring up this podcast <laughs> with your friends. Oof. Uh, but 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 yeah. Want to thank you guys all for listening for for this. You know, want to give a, a shout out to Halopedia that provided a lot of this info, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these aspects, just because this is such a grind to kind of go through with this. Mm-hmm. So really appreciate having that out there. And as always, these episodes are provided to you and voted upon by our amazing patrons. The one and only. The one and onlys. Uh, truly appreciate you guys. Um, if you haven't checked out our Patreon yet, it's patreon.com slash finish the fight. I think that's what it is. But uh, just Google it or find us or look at a link. You know, anything. The link in the description. I might. I might not. (laughs) Who knows at this point? But yeah, that's where you can, like I said, once again, you can vote on some awesome stuff, exclusive game nights, plenty of other materials. If you have any questions about us, let us know. But one thing you do get is a shout out at the end of the episodes. And we'll start with Charles Zitter, Tactics, Skyjack, Francis, Harvey Chong, Brendan Reshitar, Angry Canadian, ZZ Slipaway, Grant Dillon, Duststorm, Mr. Cholf. Cowan Fong Feliciano, Dragonfire, James Gervasi, Jonas, D Gamer1298, Alejandro Yarmil, Dilfix, Quantum Easy, That LL Gamer Guy, Jamie Sneed, McCray Austin, Mega, Thomas Goulding, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Brandon Christian, Richard Scanlon, Let Me Be Frank, McChief, Welsh, Big Papa Semichki, AKA Big Papa, Big Papa Lemon Hawes said, <laughs> and uh, Grant ODST. So thank you guys so much. And once again, mm-hmm. thanks again if you tuned in to us a week ago, two weeks ago. I'm trying to think at this point we're recording. One week ago uh, to our Twitch stream where we played as much as we could. We played eight hours. Eight hours. Well, I think we mentally checked out about seven hours in or so. I think it was just autopilot. And Jesse almost quit three minutes left. <laughs> I'll say that. But check it out on our Twitch, our Twitch vlog. We did eight hours of Halo CE Legendary. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks to the patrons. Uh, you know, hitting a mile marker. Our next one is at 50. Uh, we're currently at 33, I believe. So, yeah, thank you guys again for tuning into that, and I uh, truly appreciate you. Yeah, and if you want to join our Discord, as we said earlier, you know, the, the link will be in the description of this, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, anything like that. Carry Pigeons, AM Radios, whatever you got. Anything like that. If you do want to leave us a start or written review on iTunes, please do so. And if you have any questions regarding Patreon, please, you know, message us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are available on there, and we will get back to you as soon as as possible Mm -hmm. and with that being said that was our coverage of the spartan armor brought to you by our patrons i'm your host jesse reiners i'm your host alex kendall thank you for tuning in to finish the fight a halo podcast